Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome to another episode of Better Words. Michelle, how are you? I'm good, thank you. A little bit stressed, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's understandable and to be expected. Yeah, exactly. So for context, we are moving out of our house in two weeks and then we have another two weeks in the UK um, or longer, depending on what happens with our flights. It's all very stressful. Hopefully not much longer, but you never know, I suppose. (laughs) I know I just yeah I just don't want to get my hopes up because then yeah I mean I would love to stay a little bit longer but it's um it's just the stress of like not knowing what's gonna happen um so yeah it's just a little bit of that like like trying to get everything done I mean anyone who's ever moved house will know but imagine that instead of moving house you're trying to get rid of everything in your house and that's where I'm at (laughs) yeah so yeah (laughs) that's a bit of a bummer yeah, I know it is a little bit, uh, but it's also just like, you know, Jack's like, oh my God, you need to sell everything in the house straight away. And I'm like, but, but we won't have a couch to sit on. Like, you yeah, know, for the like, next two weeks. I know it's so yeah. hard. When I moved from Rockhampton to Sydney, I got rid of most of the random furniture that I had acquired in the rental house that I was living in. But the difference is, is that I was from Rockhampton. And so I knew lots of people in Rockhampton and knew lots of people with like I gave my couch to like a co-worker's 17 year old son because like he just <laughs> moved out and I was like take it like but see you know those people you don't know those people even when we moved over here and we were trying to get we were trying to get rid of a lot of stuff in our house in Rocky still didn't know people to you know I mean we gave a lot of it away but yeah, there were still a lot of things that I was like, please, someone, for the love of God, buy this. and like, Take it off my hands. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It's just the frustration of using Facebook Marketplace as well, oh, like yeah. people being like, what's your best offer? I don't know, the one that I put on the thing. I didn't say I was open to offers. Just pay me what I asked you. <laughs> and then yeah. people like who are like, what are the measurements of this? And I'm like, it's in the original post. Oh, my God. Um, anyway, so slightly stressed. Um, but, yeah, going okay. Um, and very excited for our chat today. I feel like it's been a long time coming, the interview that we've got this week. Um, and also before we get, before we get into it, we say this in the interview as well, but before you get like settled in, we are going to be discussing a sequel of a book. If that bothers you, then please go and read the first book. It will take you like six hours. Honestly, it's so quick. Yeah, and you'll be back to listen to our wonderful interview in like a day because the book is so good and you just fly through it. I mean, we both read both books incredibly quickly, didn't we, Michelle? Yeah, exactly. It's so gripping. So just a note there, it's like probably the first interview we've ever done. I think it is. I think we've never done a sequel before because neither of us are big series readers. I think anything else that we would maybe have discussed that it's a bit of a follow-on from another book or maybe there was same characters. I can't even think of a specific example, but never a true sequel before. Yeah, so that's fun. That's a first. Uh, Caitlin, what is your recommendation this week? My recommendation this week is a Australian comedy for fans of Utopia, Rosehaven, you know, those awesome ABC shows that we love because they're hilarious and they have all of our favourites in. So there's so a, TV a new show. Yes, TV show, <laughs> sitcom. Just for um, international style. listeners. Yes. <laughs> so it is a brand new um, – it's so funny because ever, I kept saying and I kept hearing it's Kitty Flanagan's new show. And for people who know Kitty Flanagan, love her. you honestly – I was like, is it like a talk show? Is it a game show? Is it like a sitcom? Like it could have been anything and I would have watched it. But it is like a sitcom style. So Kitty Flanagan's character, her name is Helen Tudor Fisk. 
and the show is called Fisk. And it follows her after, like, she's just gone through a divorce. She's moved back from Sydney to Melbourne and she gets a job. Um, she's a lawyer and she gets a job at this, like, little family law firm that mostly do, like, wills and um, little family things like that. So every episode, it's like, you know, the boss is funny, the, like, junior receptionist kid is very funny they all like every episode is like different old ladies coming in because their husbands have died and like you know all these like family disputes about like it does it that does no sound i want his ashes like it's so funny that sounds really good and i do love kitty fun again she's yeah. hilarious and she's it's very dry Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So, and Kitty Flanagan is very, very, very funny. So, that is a fun new one. So, yeah, if people, you know, if you ever watched Utopia and Rosehaven, I feel like are my favorites, but there would be other examples of these homegrown Australian, you know, Melbourne, Sydney office sort of comedies. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love Utopia and I love the team behind that because it's the same people who've done a couple of other ones in the past and they're just so clever and it's actually scary because you just think wow this is very accurate and that's frightening (laughs) yep and I think Fisk probably has similar kind of vibes in that small business or family business kind of way where you're like oh my god like what and she's like (laughs) the newcomer and yeah it's very yeah Very nice. I really like that recommendation. Looking forward to binging that when we're back in Australia. Um, My recommendation is one that I found actually, well, I found it by accident because I had seen it on BritBox and then kind of filed away the name. And then the second series was airing on BBC and I just assumed that it was a follow-on uh, what I've mm. now realized is that it's like an anthology sort of thing where series one oh, is a contained cool. story and then series two is another contained story, which is quite nice. So this show is called The Syndicate. Um, so, yeah, if you're in the UK, season two just aired on BBC and you can happily go back and watch that on iPlayer knowing that it's a separate story. I don't know if season one is on BBC iPlayer, but I found this on BritBox, which is in Australia now as well, so it might be available in Australia. But um, the idea is that a syndicate of people at a small, like, convenience store, I think it's called, like, Right By You or Buy Right or something like that, (laughs) um, they win the lottery. Mm -hmm. But it's a little bit more complicated than that. So they're all – we sort of get this montage at the start and they're all in pretty sort of tough – financial situations things aren't going great I mean they're all working at this convenience store and um the what I thought was the main person um he's his girlfriend's like I'm you know she's pregnant and she's like I am moving out I hate living with your mum I hate her blah 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 she actually ends up having the baby prematurely this isn't Uh like a spoiler this is all the setup for the story Uh um so she has the baby. He's like, oh, my God, how are we going to find a place to live? You know, I've got no money. And his brother, who is Neville Longbottom. Ah, oh, cool. <laughs> I know. Such a doofus, though, in this. He's horrible. He's I like. Lewis is actually so good. I've seen him in I know, a couple he's of such a... now, And I'm like, you're actually good at this. You're not just. He's Neville a really Longbottom. good actor. Yeah. yeah. No, he's a really good actor. I just couldn't think of his name. Um, so in the meantime so this guy's like oh my god we're gonna we've got no money and the poor boss guy is like look I'm really sorry but they're gonna close the store like the franchise people are coming in and and they're gonna close it and so the brother who is such a good for nothing person is like you know what we know it's like the rollover weekend where there's going to be extra money in the safe I will pretend to rob you while you're on like the closing shift but the boss comes back in the middle of it and is assaulted by the brother. Now, again, I know this sounds like I'm telling you a lot, but it is the setup for the whole show. So it's not really a spoiler because after that, the morning after is where they're, so the brothers are freaking out. They're like, cause you know, 
the the main character guy's like, it I did wrong. not want to get involved. Yeah. yeah, he was like, what the what the hell are you doing? I did not agree to this. You know, I didn't think we should do this. He's super nervous, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh my god, like we're in too deep. What are we gonna do? And the brother's like, it's fine. We've got all this money now. It's all okay. And while they're freaking out, one of the other people they work with comes to the door and is like, we've won the lottery, and that is like the setup for this show. So what oh, then happens crazy. is each episode switches perspective to each of the different people in the syndicate. So I think there's about five episodes and all this stuff sort of unfolds and it's that classic thing of like you might win all this money. They win basically 18 million, so it's about 4 million each person. Mm-hmm. And it's that classic thing of like, it can't buy you whatever it is you're missing. They all think that, you know, life's, you know, the problems are solved, but then um, they find out that the boss guy, because of the serious injury he has, like they find some other medical conditions that are really serious and it's that classic like, yeah, you've got all the money in the Everything world but no time. just kind of snowballs yeah. for all of them. Yeah. Wow, so then it's just cool. like their lives falling apart and, you know, what what happens to them after they win all this money, which is life-changing, but it's life-changing for all the wrong reasons in the most in, in most cases. Um, so, yeah, That's it's a really cool. – and it's a really, I think, like – totally underrated drama like I started watching it and also because I thought it was the one that I had just seen advertised I, I said to Jack at the start like oh yeah so they win the lottery and then one of them runs off with the lotto ticket which I didn't realize was the premise for season two because it's a separate uh, story so I was like a separate not lottery what I story yeah <laughs> yeah so like the That's end of the cool. first episode all this stuff with the armed robbery was happening and I was like when's he going to steal the ticket? Like, I don't really understand what's happening. <laughs> that's so, so funny. When you think you're watching something out. else, that's hilarious. Without the lottery bit, it kind of reminds me of Good Girls where yeah. those, like, three mothers, like, rob their, like, supermarket and then it turns out they've, like, stolen all this drug money and so then they get, like, yeah. really in too deep. That was so good. I love that show. Yeah, it, it is a bit like that only – yeah, like it, it is almost, I mean, yes, there's a lottery, it's, it's of the it, same thing of, it's the yeah. same thing of like, you can have all this money, but actually what are the consequences of that? And, and what are the consequences of, you know, <laughs> the end of the first episode as well? Like the woman who had initially organized the syndicate, they're like, they're all there getting the big check and everyone's like, oh my God, what are you going to do with all the money? And she's like, I want to get my husband back. And that's when you find out that like her husband's just left her and then it switches to her perspective. And it's just very clever. And I think totally underrated drama of even I was like, oh, I'll just pop this on, do some work in the background, whatever. And Jack started watching it with me and we were both just like, oh my God, this is so much better than we expected. Like it's just so incredible. And there's a really fun relationship between the woman I just mentioned whose husband had left her and her mother oh, and cool. that, like her mother's such a like sarcastic, horrible old woman, but also <laughs> like she's like horrible in a lovely way. Like she's yeah. just really that. And the relationship between them, I think the best part of the whole thing was their interactions. Like when she's on the phone and she's calling the lottery people and the mum's like, have you won? Have you won? What have they said? What are they? And she's just like being, oh, it's just, so well acted and she's quite a famous actress as well yeah Um, it is moments like that that totally make shows isn't it like yeah in Fisk my favorite running gag is that on (laughs) in the very first episode the Kitty Flanagan character is in like the cafe underneath their office and you know Melbourne cafes it's all very hipster and very cool and there's this guy at the next table talking really loudly on the phone and she gets angry at him and it turns out he owns the place. So then she gets banned from the cafe <laughs> under her office. Oh, my and God. And so, like, every episode it's, like, someone will come in gonna and have bring to go coffee to like... or they'll be like, how about we just go downstairs and have coffee? And she's like, no. Because <laughs> like, no, she can't. can't. She's banned. I meant to say as well, the guy who plays the boss in this, sorry, I don't know his name, but it's Pete Pettigrew. Oh. That's fun. I know. Because we watched this and he has a very emotional storyline and I loved him. And then we watched Harry Potter and I was like, it's so weird seeing him be Peter Pettigrew now. That's It's just weird. It's so weird. Because we know Peter Pettigrew doesn't really like – 
he doesn't really do much in it. He's he's just sort of there and very simpering and uh, horrible. It is um, amazing how you watch all these other things and all we can see is the Harry Potter character that they played yeah. in maybe one, maybe two, maybe even three movies, but probably not that many days of their life filming. You know exactly. Like... Although I will, I will say I didn't watch this thinking it's like it took me ages to work it out because he is so different mm-hmm. and the emotional storyline that he cases, has just. It is. Cool. And you go, why do they look so familiar? Yeah, yeah. Except for Neville, else. I was like. Oh my god, it's never long about him. Yeah. Like that's the only one that you're like really obvious. But he again, you don't think, oh, it's never long about him because he's such an asshole in it. Yeah. So yeah. Very underrated show, but it's called The Syndicate. And I'm very much looking forward to sort of seeing. I quite like that it's this contained thing now. I think that's good. I like that concept. I want to see yeah. the one that I thought that I was gonna see, which is <laughs> when the guy from the syndicate steals the lottery ticket. <laughs> Good. Well, now on to season two. And now on to our interview. This week, we are joined by a multi-award winning author of young adult literature. Seriously, her resume of awards is incredibly impressive, including the Children's Book Council of Australia Awards, the Inky Awards, the Prime Minister's Literary Awards, and multiple state premiers awards. Today, we are discussing her new novel, When We Are Invisible. This is the sequel to her stunning post-apocalyptic debut, The Sky is So Heavy. We're very excited to have you on Better Words, Claire Zorn. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. So a few years ago, like quite a few years ago, I did an interview with you um, for the newspaper I worked at. And I think at the time you said like it was one of your first phone interviews as well. And, you know, we had a lovely chat and stuff, but I've just always remembered that. And um, a friend of mine went to one of your book signings in Sydney, I think, for The Protected. Yeah. And I think you put in there that, like, it was your first phone interview and stuff. So <laughs> just a fun little fact before we start. Um, and so this this interview, I feel like, has been a long time coming because then we started the podcast and, you know, that's all been going on in the background. And then you released a new book and it's perfect timing. So when this came through our inbox, I was like, oh, my God, Caitlin, yes, this and is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> meant to be yeah yeah 100 percent. lock this in yeah yeah absolutely so let's start there then um your new novel when we are invisible picks up right where the sky so heavy left off so it's probably best to begin if we ask you to tell us a bit about both of those books the sky so heavy tells the story of a group of teenagers who are living in the blue mountains west of sydney and there's a nuclear disaster of some description. It's never um, specified and it happens overseas. And then pretty soon after that happens, the world kind of falls into a nuclear winter, uh, which is where a lot of the sun is blocked out and the temperature drops quite severely. And that story is kind of about them dealing with the immediate aftermath of that and then once kind of society starts to crumble a little bit as infrastructure, you know, fails um, because there's no electricity and all of that stuff kind of, and they kind of are just trying to survive. Um, And it's hard, it's hard to talk about it too much and talk about the sequel without giving stuff away. I suppose we're going to try, we'll try and keep it like, we'll try, (laughs) we'll try. try, We are here to talk about the sequel and the sequel. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, all I will say is you need to read The Sky So Heavy yeah. 100%. Yeah. And if you haven't and you don't want spoilers, stop right now, yeah. go read it and come back and to come this. Back. Yeah. But we won't, it won't be too <laughs> spoiler heavy. But, yeah, it does literally follow on from that. And we don't, we don't often, this is why we don't have sequels yeah. as featured books usually. But, yeah, this is, it's such an amazing book. I think When We Are Invisible kind of works as a standalone as well apparently that's what I'm told but yeah it picks up the story just after uh my characters Finn and Lucy who are both 17 and Max who's uh Finn's little brother he's about 12 or 13 they're leaving Sydney in the hope of finding safety 
and they've been told about a place that's like a commune kind of thing or like a little settlement of people that has started prior to the nuclear disaster. These people were planning for this. They thought that this was going to happen. So the start of the of When We Are Invisible, yeah, they're leaving Sydney. It picks up moments after the sky so heavy ends. Um, yeah, but this time it's told from Lucy's perspective, not from Finn's. The sky so heavy is from Finn's perspective. So we get to see the world through Lucy's eyes this time. Yeah, and we do want to sort of explore that a little bit later. But, you know, as you said just then, your books almost do have a standalone feel. And I remember when I read The Sky So Heavy, which, I mean, when I originally read it, like literally tore through it. Like I am not a fast reader or I've definitely become a bit faster, but like this was, I remember getting on a plane and it was from Rocky to Brisbane. So it was about an hour and a half and I'd literally read half of it in that time. And I was just, I just remember just being completely, you know, when you read a book and then you look up and you're like, oh my God, like, what the hell? Like, where am I? I just remember being so absorbed in it. But I sort of remember thinking, oh, wow, like, I'd love to know more. But I also was sat, I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, my God, I need another book. Like, it wasn't <laughs> like you, you didn't set it up to be like, you know, and cliffhanger. Did you always plan to sort of come back in the future? Or were you thinking, right, this is a standalone novel, this is it? Yeah, but I think when I originally started writing it, I had a plan for three of them in my head. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that number came from. But um, by the because time- it's YA and the yeah, yeah, trilogy. trilogy is so hot. So, um, <laughs> yeah, but I got towards the end of The Sky So Heavy and I was just like, I think this is, its own thing I don't think it needs more so I I didn't intend um initially to to write a sequel um I was quite happy to just kind of let it let it go um because I just felt like I I knew what the characters were doing at that point like I knew their future a little bit more than I suppose the reader does and I was kind of content yeah I think that's fair but even as a reader as Michelle said you you kind of think you want to know more and there's obviously like you know obviously it picks up moments after so they're in the car at the end of the sky so heavy and they're driving out of Sydney and you think you do think a bit like that like intense first part of this disaster is over and you kind of think yeah and they'll go find safety and maybe they'll be fine and you want to know more and you want to know how it goes but it's it's kind of fine but I was still so excited to read the sequel. So how did you then just go back to this world and write When We Are Invisible? Yeah, it's been, it's been a long time between between books, that's for sure. I think it's nearly eight years. I think it's that gap between the two of them. And you've published other novels, that like contemporary novels since then. So you've done like completely different. Yeah. Um, I decided to go back because I started to have more questions. So generally when I start writing, it's because I have some things that are kind of niggling at me that I don't understand in the world. And then I try and kind of write it out, um, if that makes sense. So what happened was Donald Trump, his, his dickhead. Sorry, can I say that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Please do. We agree. His, his buffoon was elected president, like the most powerful person in the world. And I was just like, how did that happen? Like this guy's a maniac and a, and a joke. Like this is a joke. This is something that was predicted by the Simpsons like 20 years ago, you know, like there's an episode where Donald Trump becomes president. Like this is just bizarre. And I was also, yeah. So I started to think a lot about trust and leadership and what would make people elect a leader like that. Like what kind of, what kind of state uh, do people have to be in? to choose that kind of leader and what does that leader have that they want because obviously there's something about that kind of leader that people that people liked or wanted yeah they've got something I know that's almost really shocking isn't it is that people voted for him (laughs) yeah I can see why that was like picking at you (laughs) yeah yeah and it fed into like similar stuff to what this guy so heavy kind of you know was looking at was like well why do we make these decisions that we make what is the the line that we're willing to cross to to make things better for ourselves um and I think that was when I started to think about um about leadership and what were willing what were people willing to put up with for what they perceived safety to be 
and I was kind of thinking about this world of the sky so heavy where everything is fallen apart and society is kind of collapsed and it's a mess and always when that happens in countries or in the cities and in different parts of our world a new leader rises up and sometimes we hope that that will be a better leader but often it's not and it just kind of fit with what I was yeah it just kind of fit and there was also music as well because every time I write it's always you it's it's usually from a song that I hear or an album that I'm listening to and so the band Radiohead who's like my favorite band in the world they released a, an album probably I think it was just before old doofus face I think that's what I'll just call Trump from now on <laughs> old doofus um, I think it was just before he was elected. I can't remember the date. But that kind of, those songs started, you know, pictures in my head and, and then um, and then we had Doofus and that's where it kind of started. And, and, and quite a while ago as well, I thought that if I was ever going to go back to that world, I'd, I'd want to go into Lucy's head. I'd want to see things from her perspective. That was always something that I knew even before I decided that I was going to write again. There was something about Lucy. Yeah, there, there is something about her. She's so different to me. And I think that's what was fun. Yeah, what was it about Lucy that made you want to go into her head for the second book? Everything that I would do, she does the opposite. So when I was writing The Sky So Heavy, I every, like, you know, you imagine yourself to be this person. Every single thing that when I was in her position, my reaction would be I had her do the opposite pretty much everything um I love that like all the big things not like you know saying hello like she's not nice (laughs) she's a nice person but um yeah I had her do the opposite and that's really fun like that's a really fun way to write like for example she leaves quite early she leaves her family because they sort of say yeah you know basically this is your best chance you know you go yeah and that happens that happens in the first book it's not a spoiler or anything yeah um so in that sense you would probably stay with them yeah oh, I don't know if it was, it was more stuff to do with her being a bit fearless like there's points where I think there's a few points where usually a man will say something to her to intimidate her or kind of um just degrade her a bit and rather than kind of shrinking away or backing away she'll just kind of (laughs) like she'll just kind of give it back a bit like she's not afraid to (laughs) kind of stick up for herself I'm getting more like that as I get older I'm less kind of passive than I used to be but and then there's another scene where they're going out to look for food and it's really dangerous and she has the opportunity to stay back and you know let the rest of them go but she chooses to go I would be I would not be going no thank you I'd be quite <laughs> okay, you happy. Can do that. yeah if you go get me some food I'll just be here by the fire yeah <laughs> yeah I know there is something there is something about that because reading particularly reading from Lucy's perspective I kept just thinking more about what would I be like in this kind of situation because I you know like to think that I would be kind of feisty mm. and everything like that but even there are things just like everyday things, like when I get on the train and there's no seats and a man stands up mm. so I can sit down and I'm like, thank mm. you, I'll accept this, please. Yes, I will have that seat, thank you very much. Like, and then you I feel guilty, you're like, oh, bad feminist, yeah. Yeah, I know. So I don't, it's so, I mean, it's obviously so hard to know how we would react in this kind of crazy situation, but yeah. that really is part a of key me thinks, thing in the book. Part of me thinks too, like I would be, I do get really angry at things yeah. and I do get really determined. So yeah. maybe I would just be like, I can do it. I don't yeah. care. But then part of me also is just like, would I just be a mess? And I do always joke. It's it's terrible, but I do always joke with my partner. Both of us are like, oh my God, if this happened to us, like we would be the people in the movie who just like died in the first five yeah. minutes because I just can't. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God, that looks like so much work. Like. <laughs> Especially if it's anything that involves like running away from zombies or fighting oh, zombies, no, I'm just like, please, just, oh, yeah, just, just take me. Yeah. I don't care. I'll be bothered. Like, it's too tiring. Yeah. I, also, like, I, but then I wonder, like, does this sort of thing kick in this instinct to live? But then I'm like, this looks like a kind of crap world now. Yeah. I don't know whether, yeah. like, if we're both going together, then yeah. like, let's just do it. Yeah. yeah. You know. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's so hard, isn't it? 
Because yeah, you're right. So, I, I mean, mean yeah. I think we all have that in us to be like, yes, I'll take a seat on the train. And then in the same day, I'll be like, no, I can carry this heavy thing. Yeah. I'm strong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think she's, it's interesting. Like when I was writing the first book, she was definitely the opposite to me. As I've gotten older, I think I've become more like her, which is weird psychologically. It's like, oh, where did, what is that part? But I think it's just because I've become a bit more protective of, you know, I think I've turned into mama bear a little bit. Um, and, <laughs> and that yeah. it does, it changes you. Like you Again, just, like yeah, not, not trying to yeah. please people as much and not trying to like you have this um, innate urge then to protect other people. Yeah. And so you do, I guess, get a little bit fearless because you're not there like us in our 20s trying to be like, oh, everyone, please like me. Don't judge me. Yes. Like, but you do, like we do get, I, I yeah. I'm like, God, I can't wait until I'm at that stage where I just – don't care, don't care about that stupid stuff and I feel like we're sort of getting there slowly yeah but yeah there's still a lot of like oh no what will people think of me yeah. if I wear this yeah you know? and that was the cool <laughs> thing about writing this book as well is that I was able to take Lucy out of that world like out of the world that we live in which is so about like you just feel like you know you're under constant observation you know I was able to take all that kind of weird pressure away from her and put her in another situation where she had different things to lose like kind of I suppose putting a I don't know what the word is but it it kind of broke her down to the person that she really was like inside um which is I think you know when we're in high pressure situations that's when we're a lot of our character is really revealed so um yeah I was able to do that with her like yeah her world really shifted from you know I think there's early scenes in the book where she's you know doing a hair or something in the in the mirror because she's going to meet Finn and you know she knows yeah. that she's about yeah. to see Finn and she likes Finn and stuff like that and it's like yeah that passes pretty quick you know yeah. <laughs> she doesn't have the opportunities <laughs> oh, but I, it's, I think she does make some jokes about accessorizing for um the apocalypse so um, <laughs> yes yeah, I know with the clothes they find in Lost and Found I think yeah there's that's like right. there's like <laughs> hilarious you know they yeah. Yeah, I feel like I remember clothes. flared jeans and she's yeah, like, I'm she was wearing Yeah, yeah. Because I, and I think, you know, I'd be like that. I'd be like, yeah, it might be the end of the world, but I am not wearing that. Like, yeah. yeah. 100%. <laughs> I agree. It's interesting though, just before I ask my next question, I don't know, I know you haven't watched this, Michelle, but I don't know if you're a fan at all, Claire, of the Marvel movies or new TV shows. No. no? That's okay. Fine, because all that popped into my head was one quote from the most recent episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier where there is a new Captain America and someone new. just said a new, a new one oh. that's not Chris Evans. <laughs> Sorry. Chris Evans does Where's like to get Claire nude though. Right now where she's like so nude. No, no. Um, anyway, and someone. We'll watch it if it's nude actually, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry. No. Anyway, the quote is power makes people more of who they are oh. which I think is oh that's interesting yeah, yeah. interesting that's and, very yeah which very true. yeah has I've remembered that from watching that you know last week or something and I thought yeah, of that yeah. when you were talking about that and I think that that applies to a few characters in this book yeah because power is an interesting thing to play around with as well in a story yeah it is a big theme in the story and because even though as you've just said you've taken Lucy out of our sort of modern, normal world. You know, she still is a young woman who used to live in a normal, modern world and is now in this crazy apocalypse, but really struggles with the patriarchal, misogynistic sort of way that the community that they find in the second book lives. You know, like the women are working in the kitchen and the men are on guard. So why did you want to make that such a key part of the novel? That's something like it's funny when you're writing a book it, it often takes me about three or four drafts to work out what I'm actually writing about so I know what the characters are and the story like the plot and all that kind of thing but it takes a long time for me to work out what I'm actually writing about like what's the actual thing that I'm trying to get at and so that was a it was a slow a slow kind of revelation for me in this book I think 
at one point I, I had a lot of trouble writing it. So there was so many drafts. It's been rewritten about three times. It was the, the hardest book I've written. Like it was really, really tough. And for a long time I couldn't work out Lucy. And she she's like I knew that she was kind of fighting against this injustice that she saw and she's very very frustrated with the way that she's treated because she's a young woman but I needed to learn more about her to know what where does that come from like it, it, it it's there for a lot of us of course but there's got to be something within her that's really made her kind of fire about, up about this stuff so I'm not providing a very good answer um it's fine we're here to talk about it it's fine I think I just look I write really really well when I'm angry and I got really really angry about just the world (laughs) just about women Mm. in the world and the absolute bullshit we have to deal with um and I think it's you know I don't think I could have written this book in when I was in my 20s I I just didn't have it like it's something that I've kind of as I've gotten older I think what happens is you get more and more tired of it <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> so I'm like you've just seen it yeah, again like, oh we're yeah. still freaking here are we okay um yeah. you know yeah you still get called girl um even you know, you're like oh, yeah I'm actually a woman but you go ahead um sweetheart <laughs> all of that kind of bullshit oh I'm swearing like <laughs> nothing else but I just got <laughs> really you know I just got really over like I'm just yeah. the you know just basically when it comes down to it the statistics that we live in in Australia there's one woman a week killed by a current or former partner it's like what the hell like that yeah. is a yeah, lot and that's that's yeah. only the women that are killed like there's thousands mm-hmm. that are in abusive and controlling relationships and I wanted to kind of unpick that and I wanted to kind of dig in and find out what how do we end up here? Because it's not, it's not women who are putting themselves in those positions. That's not what it, the fault does not lie with a woman who trusts someone. That's not her fault. It's the, per, it's the perpetrator. It's the guy. And it's like, well, how do we, how do we get to this? What kind of power must men have that this can, this keeps on having like happening? Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of where it came from. I'm not being very um, articulate in it. I, you know, like it does take me like seventy thousand words to work out what I'm writing about. So, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. completely fine. Yeah, yeah completely and I totally, fine. you know, I totally get what you mean because it's, and that is something that is in the book the whole way through is that Lucy feels like she can't quite explain why she feels that way about letting other people, other characters to Finn. And and he's like, oh, but they're protecting us. And then she's like, they're just um, something yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just that basic stuff. Like, you know, I think Courtney Barnett has a song, I want to walk through the park in the dark. And then she quotes Margaret Atwood, who says that men are afraid that women will laugh at them. Women are afraid that men will kill them. And, that's it. That's that's basically it. <laughs> like, yeah. Hell. Yeah. I can't even go for a walk in the park. <laughs> like this is ridiculous. No, horrible. And just the fact, like all women know, like by the time they're twenty-five, if not much earlier, that if you're walking at night, carry your car keys in your hand, as if somehow by some magical power, you're going to be able to fight someone off with your car keys. Like that is so bad that we even have to think about that that we like just do to ourselves and learn and decoy calls and like not going to places because of the route that you might have to walk and the places that you might have to be at night actually yeah exactly yeah and it's just totally effed up yeah so I think Lucy finds herself in this world where you know danger is a very very real thing and she does have to deal with the fact that she is a 17 year old girl she's not you know huge and strong she is a small built woman which was like I'm nearly six foot tall so I have always thought in my back oh yeah I reckon I could take them on yeah (laughs) you try me buddy (laughs) (laughs) in reality I'm not a very fast runner and I don't think I've got a very accurate kick um yeah but I I 
I have always felt like I had some sort of advantage, like in that part, like I am actually I'm quite tall. So, but how effed up that we even have that to you even think that, that place in our head. This is shit. Um, and the fault does not lie with us. The fault does not. No, lie it doesn't. Us. But it is shit that we're the ones thinking about the fact <laughs> yes. that we're by like you know the way humans are like designed or whatever women are smaller we're smaller we're shorter we have like weaker limbs we can't (laughs) oh my god so annoying yeah it's it's super annoying and also I think you never you literally never going to know until you're in that moment whether you have that fight or freeze reaction yeah Yeah. because as much as we want to think oh we would fight it the reality is we probably or that you think i will punch that guy if he gets any closer but like will you i don't even know how to throw a punch i don't know how to throw a punch i've never yeah exactly i know i have never punched anyone yeah (laughs) oh my god i was gonna say i've never punched anyone but then i just remembered i died (laughs) (laughs) anyway we won't talk about that right now um that's a story for another podcast um yeah no I because this that whole fear response as well is something that you know is interesting as well because I've always thought oh yeah I'd you know I'd fight like I'd you know I'd really but when I was about 20 I think maybe a bit younger I was on a train and a guy just came and sat next to me on the train and put his hand on my leg and I just froze I just sat there yeah and it was just because I think you should as well it's like What's going on? Do yeah, I know you? can't you're believe it's happening. <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. What are you doing? Like, and I think you start, yeah, you start to like, like, oh, what have I done? Yeah, because we are conditioned. Yes. We are conditioned to think that way. So it's like, oh my god, have I done something wrong? Yeah. Like, have I misinterpreted yeah. the situation? Have I led yes. on? Have yes. I? Blah, blah, blah. Yes. What like, have I? What have I worn? What? What is it that I've yeah. done to myself that oh, obviously oh, makes yeah. this man feel that he can do this? And it's like I should be able to wear whatever the hell I want and not be randomly. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. basically okay. I channeled so, all yeah. of that into a book. <laughs> into the book. Brilliant. <laughs> Lovely. I love that. Um, aside from that, yeah. <laughs> did you do any other sort of research for the novel? Because um, apart from the anger and frustration <laughs> that we all go through on a daily basis as women, it is horrifyingly realistic to read not that I've ever been in a a, um, nuclear winter nuclear winter (laughs) I remember when I was reading it like I said like reading it on the plane just being so absorbed in it and thinking like oh my god I'm so scared I'm so nervous I'm so anxious I'm so tense like Mm. I've rarely ever experienced that level of like oh my god like I think I was just clenching everything yeah I don't want to be in this situation how Um, do you research what an apocalypse will be like how do you do that (laughs) Well, you know, what's your Google search yeah. history look oh, like? Oh wow, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, the most recent ones are about skinning a deer. Um, <laughs> I had to watch some yeah. tutorials. It's crazy. Um, yeah, that was realistic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that was a lot of. I yeah. I talked to someone about how to best kill a kangaroo, um, which he hated as well because he's someone that used to do a lot of hunting when he was a teenager, but doesn't anymore and just finds it quite icky. Um, yeah, I had to learn about firearms, all sorts of stuff, um, which is all really fun. I love learning about that because you talk to people that live, that have lived very different experiences um, to you. So, and I just generally find that interesting. Um, so there was all that kind of stuff. But basically, like with the whole nuclear winter situation, it's basically a massive change in temperature. Um, but more than that, it you know, for this book, it was just taking away electricity. Once electricity is gone, it's amazing how quickly we fall apart. Like it happens yeah. so fast. It, the, our dependence on electricity is insane. Like you cannot. Oh, I feel anxious listening. I mean, you'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, you're right. But it's funny because even like reading like it, plan. I think I forget that that's it. Like it's cold yeah. and there's no electricity. Yeah. And that's it. And yeah. And even, you know, when we when we get back into the this world and we start the sequel and they're like, Yeah, we don't know what happened because no electricity means yeah. no news. It happened something happened something somewhere. Happened. Yeah. We don't know what happened, but it doesn't even bloody matter because yeah. the world is a mess. Yeah. 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 And it's that kind of game that, you know, that you play with your with yourself. It's like 
um, dominoes. Like once you push one thing and then you just watch it all fall, you know, um, it's yeah. Fuel pumps, simple things. Like once a fuel, a fuel pump is powered by electricity. <laughs> once the fuel pump stops working, mm. we have no fuel. We have no transport. Yeah. You can't find information. Um, mm. And I think that's, that's, that's something that we really take for granted now is this, access to so much information we know what's going i you know you know what the weather is like at the moment in mozambique Literally like anywhere can, in the world you yeah. can find it and look at it like it's just incredible the amount of knowledge that we have um mm. but if you simply take away this one thing all of that goes away and you don't yeah. know anything other than what's immediately in front of you and I think like my, <laughs> my age, oh, honestly, listening to this, I'm just like, oh, please don't make it happen. No, but no. I think it's all fine. It'll be fine. Um, <laughs> I think I keep on talking about how old I am now, but um, I can, re- I can remember back in the day um, when I, <laughs> when I was a teenager and we would go on holidays to our, um, my grandmother had a holiday house and there was electricity uh, but there was no telephone and there was no television there. So the only way that... God, what a boring holiday. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So great. I'm kidding. <laughs> but, um, no, the only way you found out about any news was in the car with the radio on. Um, mm-hmm. And you had no way of actually communicating with anyone unless you walked down the street to the payphone. Um and when I was, I was there, this was on the central coast in New South Wales and we were getting ready um, to go to the beach one day. I was probably, oh, I can't remember how old I was, about eight or nine. And we were putting on sun cream and then the whole, like there was this sound. It sounded like there was several people, this is going to sound bizarre, running across the roof of the house and it started to shake. And so the house is vibrating, it's shaking, the cupboard doors all open in the kitchen and things fall out of the cupboard doors. I had sun cream like on my hands and held onto the wall Um, and then all the shaking stopped and my dad was like, oh, shit. (laughs) Classic, classic. Shit, what was that? And so so someone's like, was that an earthquake? And so he runs out and puts the news on on the car to start the car and shoot into the the radio, into the ABC local radio. Um, And it was the Newcastle earthquake. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. But you have – it's just this – I was going to guess that. Yeah, yeah, I was going to guess that. Yeah. But it's this this (laughs) experience that you have, and for a few moments you have no idea what is happening. You have no explanation for it. Um, and so putting people in like a nuclear winter is a little bit like an extension of that. Um, because it's also, you know, in those small little instances, you do observe how people react, which is always, you know, my favorite thing when writing is how do people react in these situations? Um, and I, like, I remember myself just being like, there was no time for panic. It wasn't panic. It was just observance. It was just like, wow, there's a lot of shaking going on. I'm going to hold on to this wall. Oh, look, all the cupboards are opening. It was like almost a calm state um, mm. because you don't really have, you don't know what you're panicking about, if that makes sense. That's what I was going to say when you mentioned about it, it's not necessarily a panic, it's an observance. Because if I say to you guys in Australia that we've been in lockdown for 14 weeks this time and it's our third lockdown and, you know, over 127,000 people have died. You know, we have so many cases every day. I think when I tell people that in Australia, they're like, oh my God, that's so scary. Stay safe. And I'm like, it's, I I literally don't even think about it anymore because it's just my life. Like what's scarier to me is coming back to Australia in a month and being around people who don't wear masks. Like that freaks me out. Like, I don't know how amazing how quickly we adjust situation. Yeah. 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 It's so, it scares, that scares me. I have genuine anxiety around that and around people because I'll be coming back for the first time in two years. You're going to be so shocked because people will just like 
stand next to you at the train station now. Like, but it's, I'm, I'm nice. worried about people. Like, <laughs> when I see people and they're going to want to hug me because they haven't seen me for two years, and I'm going to be like, please, can you? I just, I don't know if I'm up for that. Yeah. Like, it just, it's that thing of like when you're in that moment. Obviously, this moment is a prolonged period of a year. It is literally just our normal life. Yeah. It is our normal yeah. life now, and all those things that once would have been alien to you mm. become just your life and that's the situation I guess by especially by the time we get to book two yeah that's the situation they're in that's that's just their life now their life is yeah people are dying yeah this is the situation you know it whereas in the first one you're, you're in that moment of oh my god what the hell is happening oh my god I just remembered I I took a photo of this because I reread the sky so heavy before reading when we're invisible <laughs> I took a photo of the page there's a I'm gonna see if I can find it there's a quote in there, I'm sure. Hang on. About I hand sanitizer. Really yes, about I have hand a friend sanitizer. in the UK. Yeah, a friend in the UK took a photo of that and sent it to me. And of course, I had forgotten about it because I re- wrote it like 12 <laughs> years ago. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because that's what I was saying to Caitlin. Because I, I um, didn't have a copy to reread with me yeah. so it's like Caitlin I need you to give me a summary for when I read this just because I know you're going to reread it and honestly because I read it so long ago I was like I remember vaguely what happens but I feel like it's gonna I'm gonna need to know exactly what happened at the end yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah which um, you do because you find it right up but yeah the quote maybe fragrance tan sanitizer is going to solve the world's problems after all yeah when I read that <laughs> I was like oh my god yeah, yeah. <laughs> that and a mask and a that mask and a, that and a mask that's right get yeah. your mask on yeah so you know we had a lot more that we wanted to discuss with you yeah. basically just about your writing journey and 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 things like that but honestly like your the concept of this novel is so fascinating and to be quite honest you know regular listeners will know we we do read a lot of contemporary so for us to have like a genre novel has given us so many like we were writing the questions and we were like there's just so much to discuss yeah um so we haven't really managed to ask you anything else about you know the, the process of the writing or anything like that but I guess to end on it would be really interesting to sort of know how how you kind of cope with and I always ask this because it's it's one of my things yeah um when you do have such high acclaim and you get you know amazing awards and absolutely deserved praise because you're a brilliant writer how does that affect you as a writer then when you turn up to do the next book uh it makes it harder definitely yeah because Mm. um yeah the sky's so heavy like I didn't have a publishing contract I didn't know if anyone would ever read it so you're so free like you've got nothing to you you have nothing to lose you don't have a reputation to lose because you don't have a reputation like no one yeah (laughs) yeah you're nobody (laughs) so yeah and there's something so free about that it's kind of wonderful um yeah I think this book you know, because it's a sequel and so there's a certain level of expectation and, um, I, yeah, this this one I did feel a little bit more crippled than with past books. With past books, they've all been so different to each other. So I haven't really. Again, you've sort of got no expectations yeah. in that in terms of style or, yeah. you know, yeah. new story. Yeah, yeah. So but this, it felt like there was a lot of expectation um, and I think that's something that I really, really struggled with for a while, just kind of um, just trying to let that go and just writing what I wanted to write rather than what other people might expect me to write. Yeah, that was hard um, and it took a really long time. This is, I've yeah, this book has been, it's been a bit of a nightmare <laughs> to write. Um, <laughs> so, and you, you know, yeah, you're always kind of scared. Like I think a lot of people say, oh, it's so exciting to publish a book. Um, I think writers that say that are lying because it's just terrifying. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're just waiting. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, so, I, I mean, I don't read any, I don't read reviews or anything like that unless 
um, you know, my husband reads everything first. So if he says, yes, you should read this, I will read it. But (laughs) I don't go on Goodreads. I think that is a terrible thing to do if you're right. Don't do that. Don't ever, ever do that. People are ruthless on Goodreads. Oh, it's awful. It's really horrible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just, yeah. Which is a shame because I'm sure the the praise outweighs the badness, but then we remember the badness. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Badness yeah. is not a good word to use. No, but, but yeah, we remember the negative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um yeah. Yeah. And so that can kill a creative said, process. Like that can just yeah kill it before it's even started. You did say um a little bit earlier that you know you redrafted this, was it three or four times? Uh I think it went through about ten or eleven drafts, um, and three complete rewrites. So there's characters Oh my god that didn't make it through. <laughs> Like there's whole people that, just like the apocalypse, yeah, they didn't like make the it through. They didn't make it. They didn't survive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which sucks because yeah. I had a really wow. great one in there. There was this. I came up with this great character. She was amazing. She was wonderful. No, didn't make it through. Maybe she'll turn do up you, Yeah. Do you think that maybe you know could we ever get that third book, or do you think this is this is it for now? I think this is it. Yeah, this this is it. <laughs> I as much as I as much as I enjoy your writing, I I don't really want to return to that world. No, so, yeah, me that's neither. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I can I tell think, I'm very scared by it. So. Yeah, I think it does feel more more like an ending, even at the end yeah. of the second book. Yeah, even though and I wanted that. I, I wanted to kind of cancel any possibility of a third one. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I did need to. Yeah, I wanted to kind of complete it. It feels more complete now. Before it didn't feel complete to me. Like I was quite happy for it to be a standalone. I was quite happy with it. I didn't, but now I feel, I feel like I'm more settled with where the characters are at now. So I'm happy to kind of leave it. Yeah. So just out of interest, obviously, like you've been with UQP, um, which is University of Queensland Press, yeah. um, for the three books since your debut. So it was was it a case of them saying, okay, what's your next book going to be? And you were like, actually, I'd like to go back to this story. Or were they sort of saying, so um, do you think maybe we could uh... – <laughs> 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 No, it was the first. It was the first one. It was me that was just like, I think this is what I'm going to do. And to be honest, like – there's always been so much demand for it. Like, it's amazing. I get contacted by high school students so much, particularly boys. It's really funny. Like, they send me these sweet little um, terribly punctuated messages on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think they're going to be disappointed to be like, oh, no, it's a girl's perspective. Oh. Maybe I did that on uh-huh, her. Yeah. 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 You want to see what it's in. like for a girl? I think I think yeah. teenage boys should read this book. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, I just can imagine them being like, "Oh, yeah, this is so cool." Yeah. And then being like, "Oh, yeah." Yeah. <laughs> nah, I don't think they'll No, no, but I totally mind. get what you mean. Um <laughs> yeah, so when you have that continuing like that still happens quite a lot people kind of saying I can't that's believe amazing it ended that How is amazing because it because it is like quite old in yeah no it really terms. is yeah it's 2013 yeah. like eight years ago that it came out yeah but I I got I have got some very angry ones as well but like how could you do that to me I love this book so much and then you just ended it I'm really one guy said I'm really ticked off and I'm like yeah I'm sure that was the word you actually wanted to use <laughs> Um, I do think that maybe that is because teenagers, like we did sort of joke, oh, trilogies, YA. Honestly, I think teenage readers are often conditioned to have, right from when we read Harry Potter for the first time or whatever, we're conditioned to have these really long series. Yeah. 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 And you know what? I actually, you know, we are, well, me more so than Caitlin, I have an aversion to any series. So, um, you know, consider yourself very lucky that I've read this book. No, but I don't think series reading. I I have an actual, like, if I know that a book is a series, it actively puts me off reading it. Um, So, you know, that doesn't bother me, but 
I, I can see that trend happening with a lot yeah. of things, with a lot of things. Yeah. And, you know, there are some, there is the, the odd exception to that. Um, Richard Oseman's Thursday Murder Club, I started reading. I was oh. like, this better be a series of amazing books. Is that like, good? I love it so much. I, okay. I never reread books like ever. I read it twice in four months wow. last year. It is the ultimate comfort read. I read really? it over Christmas. I love it so much. And that's a Richard Osmond, like the so really good. tall guy. He's really tall, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. the really tall guy. That's how I remember people yeah. how tall they are. Which also, I was just like, I hate that you have such a good career, but you're genuinely a really good writer. Yeah. It's not fair how it's good curious. you are. And yeah. I listened to an interview with him at the end. So I listened to the audiobook first. Was um, he reading it? And... No, oh, he's not, um, which makes sense, though, because it's an it's elderly fiction. woman. Oh, okay, that wouldn't the, work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So they have a really good person doing it. And then he has an interview at the end with Marion Keys. Okay. And she was saying how much of a fan she was of his book. And he was saying that because he didn't want to get a book deal on the basis that he was yes. Richard Oseman off the telly. Yes. Um, so he wrote this whole thing yes. before pitching it. Oh. And she was just like, even she was just like, it's so unfair how good you are. Like yeah. it's so funny and so witty. And it's, I mean, it's a group of pensioners solving a murder. Amazing. I love it. Yeah. It's so, so good. But like genuinely the humor is just like spot on. So British, yeah. but just so dry. And, but then there are these moments of like, just sort of wokeness of yeah. like where one of the elderly people says something and they're like, oh no, you can't say that. No, 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 no. Like it just, just the way he sort of works it in. It's just yeah. so clever and brilliant, and oh, I love it so much. I cannot wait yeah. for the next book. Okay. And actually, similar to yours, he said that because he wrote the second book in the first lockdown, he said it literally picks up the day after yeah. we finish. It's like, yeah, no. that's it. Because at the end, a letter gets dropped through the door. Yeah. And it's like. Oh, we might see what that's about. And he's like, that's yeah. going to pick up. So you're like, oh, yeah, this is a fully contained story. Yeah. But With the potential. Yeah. yeah. Well, Kate Atkinson yeah. writes those sorts of things as well. Like they're not necessarily sequels, but they're kind of, I suppose, like there's a lot of them kind of things like that where you have your main kind of protagonists who they're usually crimey kind of things as well. Yes. Um, but her crimey stuff has, you know, the one detective person in it that, yeah, but you don't have to yeah. read them. I really like, I always go on about, I love Tanya French um, yes. and her Dublin Murder Squad series. Yes. And it's always a different, it's always like the secondary detective is the, yes. is then the next yes. main protagonist. Yeah. I read the, I read them in sequence because I was a bit obsessive like that. I was like, I have mm. to go from the start. But you can read each book individually. Mm. Yeah, I've only read one, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess, you know, as much... <laughs> we probably need to do a part two one day just on your general writing and stuff. I feel like we didn't, we didn't get to any of that stuff. Um, And I think you have a really interesting sort of, you know, such interesting perspectives to bring on the writing stuff in general, but hopefully, you know, everyone has enjoyed this chat because I think there's been so much in it and it is really like the books are so chilling frightening (laughs) um but brilliantly brilliantly brutal um as well but yeah just also just such um in terms of a book that you can truly escape into and pick up and just get lost in yeah these books like uh yeah thank you like captivating and you get so absorbed i've read both so quickly it's amazing and it's like you look down and then you look up and you're like oh my god it's been it's been six hours <laughs> yeah that's the best it's, that's what I love to hear yeah it's it actually the best it is the best and I suppose like after years years of writing you're like well I don't want to hear that you read it in six hours because it took me six years <laughs> no it's amazing because it I know what that's like like I know what that's like as a reader yeah. to be like oh I'll just do one more page so when you hear that other people have had that experience with what you've written it's amazing it's wonderful thank you yeah, no, well, thank you for yeah. joining us today. Um, and, you know, we'll do a part two in the future. Um, <laughs> so please let everyone know where they can find you online. Uh, so oh, my online presence has shrunk a little bit. I'm not on Twitter anymore. Um, on Instagram, I'm on Instagram. That's mainly photos of my horse, though. <laughs> 
it's not so much that's fair content. i like that yeah. <laughs> it's mainly horses um uh so i'm just at, at claire's on capital c capital z um on facebook for um which i know isn't super cool um but that's where my mum's friends find out news about my books. So that's it's very that. important. Love that. Yep. Got to get the fan club <laughs> in there. Right. Yep. Claire's on author. Yeah, that's me. And I think I've got yep. a website as well, but I'm not very good at maintaining it. So probably the content is quite old. Um, <laughs> but, oh, actually, no, I did. I changed the fonts recently. So there's that. Um, nice. It's just clairezone.com. Yeah, that's where I am. But I'm Wonderful. not very active other than the horse photos okay yeah that's all right well thank you so much it has been such a pleasure to chat to you about what is a a very serious and um sometimes dark novel (laughs) but yeah we really enjoyed it thank you oh you're welcome thank you for having me thank you for listening to better words you can chat to us on instagram at better words pod and follow me michelle at unfinished bookshelf and me caitlin at just a bookish babe If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review.